Chapter 32, Marco. Where are we? I asked, chattering out the words. The fear was contagious. Explosions all around. You some kind of stowaway, kid? The sergeant said, laughing humorously. Picked one rotten place to catch a joyride. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm staying or not. Where are we? I asked again. We're in the English Channel, son. But we are about to be in France. Normandy. Normandy. Even I knew what that meant. I'd seen the movies. D-Day. World War II. The invasion of Europe by American and British forces. Only, there was no such place as America. Oh, no, I whispered. The sergeant laughed. Yeah! Oh, no! Here we go, ladies! Keep your heads down and your weapons high and dry! Scrunch! The boat jarred to a stop. The ramp dropped. The sergeant fell with two holes through his chest. Men were dropping all around me. It was the Delaware all over again, only now the death was faster. I caught a brief glimpse of Sandy Beach. Men lying prone... Alive or dead, who could tell? A bluff topped with barbed wire and a low, menacing concrete bunker. I dropped on my butt, spun around, and hugged the floor. Men fell back on me. I began to morph. I didn't have a morph strong enough for this. This was massacre by machine gun. I needed to get small. Too small for the bullets to find me. I was going fly, and I was going there fast. Men were bleeding on me. I was screaming. I didn't care anymore. I was just getting out of there alive. I shrank. The body sagged down on top of me. Machine gun bullets continued pouring into the mass over me. Those that were still alive wouldn't be for long. And I'd have been dead myself, but for the protection of men whose flesh protected mine. I shrank. My bones crunched and shriveled, and finally turned watery and disappeared. My eyes bulged huge, faceted, glittering, then shrank along with the rest of me. Legs sprouted from my chest. My own arms and legs became elongated, jointed sticks. Dagger-sharp hairs stuck out along their length. But I wasn't noticing much of that. I was noticing the fact that my brain was about to explode. Too much death and destruction and horror. As bad as my life had been at times as an Animorph, I'd seen real, hardcore combat now. And it was worse. The men who died in these battles had been like Jake. They'd had no chance. Here, at Agincourt, back on the Delaware River, or on the beautiful, slow-moving sailing ship, no difference. Men stood up in the face of the enemy and were massacred. Arrows found throats. Swords found vulnerable flesh. Cannons ripped away limbs. Bullets entered organs by neat, round holes and came out in a shredded mess. 
Men died, never having the chance to resist, to fight, to run, to cry out, to prepare, to wonder. One second, they were scared and brave and alive. The next second, they were dead. Just like Jake. Cassie and I had sworn to protect him, but there'd never even been a chance. I shrank and morphed, less and less human. Gossamer wings sprouted from my back. My face, my tongue and mouth and teeth all merged, melted together, extended out into a hollow tube through which I would dribble saliva and suck up liquid food. My fly eyes saw a world of shattered images, faceted, a broken mirror, broken mirrors filled with huge limbs arrayed like a cage around me. I fired my wings and rose up through the maze of arms and legs and heads, out into the air. Explosions rocked me, but they did not touch me. The bullets would not find me except by the most amazingly long odds. Yet, the air was so thick with flying lead that I still felt fear. Up and out of the boat, which now drifted helplessly, its coxswain dead along with every other man who tried to come ashore. The fly's vision was not good at a distance. I could only see what was close. And then, not in detail. I was glad. I didn't want to see what was around me. But I could not block the fly's sense of smell. I smelled, tasted the spilled blood, and drained bodily fluids. I couldn't help but smell them. D-Day. The smell alone would haunt me for the rest of my life. Chapter 33. Axe. I time-jumped into water. My hooves absorbed some of it. It had a high salt content. I kicked wildly, looking for bottom. My hooves touched sand. I propelled myself through the surf onto a sandy beach. I flew through the air. I saw a gray sky overhead. I saw humans around me, running, lying down, falling. I hit the sand hard. I lay there. Breath knocked out of me. My main eyes were staring upward, at the sky, the blue atmosphere of Earth, beyond which was the black of space, the now invisible points of stars, the disappearingly small planets, one of which, somewhere up there, far, far away, was my own. I had never wanted to be there more. I thought I understood humans. I understood nothing. They were mad. Lunatics. Evil. Violent. Destructive. Hate-filled creatures. Axeman, are you hit? It was Tobias. I saw him, drifting, wings spread wide, above the smoke of battle. I am not injured, I said. But I must tell you, I am profoundly tired of your people. I'm not exactly thrilled with them myself, Tobias said. But you need to morph, man. Nothing on that beach is getting out alive. I just talked to Marco. He's in Flymorph. Not a bad idea to get wings. Bullets hit the sand beside my head. I scooted sideways just as another burst tore up the sand where my head had been. I began to morph. Tobias and Marco were both right. Wings. I was sprouting hairier feathers as the next explosion hit the beach near me 
and pelted me with sand. Anyone else here? It was Cassie's voice. Yes, I am here. So are Marco and Tobias, I answered. Are you safe? As safe as anyone could be, she said. I materialized right at the bottom of the bluff, in some bushes. I morphed to Osprey. I'm in the air now. I was nearly done morphing. I had wings and talons. My front legs were tiny, shrunken appendages. My stalk eyes were gone. My main eyes had begun to acquire the piercing hawk intensity. My face was a perfect melding of andalite and harrier, gray feathers and blue fur. An opening had appeared in my lower face, the beginnings of a mouth, a beak. Dirt buried me, blackness all around me. In panic, I kicked with my tiny talons and shriveled front legs. But the wet sand clung to me, refusing to be shoved aside. Demorph! I knew I had to demorph. No other way to... Kawumph! Something landed on me, crushing weight. But the sand was off my face. I saw daylight. I pushed and shoved and wiggled my way with a body that was almost useless. I began to demorph, the panic under better control, now that I had at least a glimpse of sky. I'm hit! I'm hit! Medic! The voice was shockingly close. Only then did I realize what had landed on me, pinning me down under the sand. A human was lying on me, unaware. He struggled up, lessening the weight on me. No, 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 no! He moaned and fell back. I had to get out from under him. Had to get away. All I had to do was get off the ground, reach the sky. Had to demorph to Endolite first, push my way clear. But the human was moaning. He was crying. He was calling for his mother. Not my affair. The madness of humans was not my concern. Another human slammed into the sand beside me. I'm here, buddy, this human said. My stalk eyes grew from the bird head. I pushed one up and out of the sand. I saw the injured human. I am not an expert on human physiology, but I believed the wound to be fatal. The second human was tending to him. He ripped feverishly at the wounded soldier's clothing. He jabbed a syringe into the man's arm. Doc, Doc, is it bad? It hurts. It hurts. Oh! You'll be fine, soldier. Morphine will... Bullets ripped the sand. The Doc flinched. He resettled his helmet on his head. He did not leave. An explosion, not twenty feet away, showering us again with sand. Don't let me die. Don't let me die. You'll be okay, soldier. I'm just gonna... The dock fell atop the wounded man. A bullet had penetrated his throat. Dead. While trying to save a man he must have known was doomed. Was this Visserfor's doing? Or was this all simply a part of human history? I felt a desperate need to think, to make sense of it all. One thing I knew. The battle on the river had not been part of human history. 
My friends were sure of that. At that point, Visser IV had twisted the strands of history. The sea battle? No one seemed to know how that was supposed to have happened. Had the battle even taken place originally? One thing was certain. Visser IV had miscalculated at the university. Things were not as he'd expected them to be. And now, if we were even later in time, this battle too might not be all he'd expected. Visser IV might be as confused as we were. And yet, in the end, as we'd seen, Visser IV had altered history to create an earth of harsh repression. But then was then. That was before we had become involved. Before this new version of history where we'd stummied Visser IV at Agincourt. What did it all mean? What was I missing? Surely there was a way to make sense of it all. To encapsulate all this mindless killing, all this violence, all this fear, in a package of reason, logic. I was afraid. The realization surprised me. I was hiding beneath two dead bodies, spinning the wheels of my mind, trying to make sense of things. Thinking was so much easier than sliding out from beneath this grisly protection and facing the murder all around me. I was a coward. No, this was not my war. My war was with the Yurks. This was human killing human in some dark, distant past. Insanity. Lunacy. Coward. No, I had no chance. Everyone on that beach was dying. Everyone was going to die. Everyone. This wasn't my beach. This wasn't my war. This was not my place to die. Not my place to kill, as I had killed the Hessian officer. Marco! Rachel! Ash! It was Cassie's thought-speak voice. Faint. Far away. Don't answer, I told myself. Hide! Don't answer! Mr. Thorne, Tobias and I see him. He's in a jeep, leading a column of tanks. We need help. Not my war, I said again. Then I began to morph and push the sand away. Chapter 34 Cassie It moved beneath me, a sinister gray snake, clanking and lurching and belching sudden gusts of black diesel smoke. The tank column approached the beach along a narrow, winding road. At the head of the column, an open, jeep-style car pulling a trailer. In the trailer was a glowing golden ball, as tall as a man. A weapon far more powerful than all the tanks of all the armies of the world combined. The Time Matrix. The Time Matrix had allowed Visser IV to reach the German tanks and tell their generals that this was the real invasion, that this was the time to strike the Allies. In the passenger seat of the jeep, sitting with three machine-gun-toting German soldiers behind him, was Visser IV. There was a bloody cut down one side of his face, barely concealed by hastily applied bandages. The tank column extended as far as I could see down the road. More tanks had pulled off into fields defined by tall, impenetrable hedges. Directly beneath me was the bluff overlooking the beach. It bristled with concrete bunkers and trenches and barbed wire. Dozens of machine guns, cannon, mortars, all aimed down at the vulnerable men on the beach below. Beyond the bloody beach, a huge, gray fleet kept station, 
and lobbed shells that missed the bunkers and exploded harmlessly in the fields behind. In ten minutes, the first tanks would reach the bluff above the beach, and then all hope of an allied victory would die, the Germans would win, and the world would be the world we had glimpsed briefly. We need everyone! I yelled, flapping my wings to regain lost altitude. Tobias drifted closer to me. If no one gets here, it's going to be up to us. What are we supposed to do? All those Germans and all those tanks aren't just going to let us attack Visser 4 and steal the Time Matrix. Besides, do you know how to operate the stupid Time Matrix? Me? I can't program a speed dial, Tobias admitted. But those tanks cannot reach that beach. This is D-Day, and if the Germans win, the Americans and the English lose the biggest war in history. But there are no Americans, I said. Whatever they're called, what does it matter? This is D-Day. This is Normandy. This decides whether the Nazis go on or are stopped. Where are the others? I demanded. Not that I had any right. Where had I been at Trafalgar? Hiding. Escaping. We can't do this as birds, Tobias said. No, I know. The road curves past that last stand of trees down there. That's the place. We'll have to hurry, Tobias said. He spilled air from his wings and glided toward the trees below us. I turned and followed him down. We landed amid blasted trunks. Artillery had blown away all but a few desperate spring green leaves. What do you think the Nazis will make of a hork bajir Tobias wondered. He began morphing as soon as he landed. hork bajir horns sprouted from his forehead. I focused on the wolf DNA inside me. The wolf was fast, strong, no match for machine guns. I might reach Visser 4 before I was gunned down. I might not. Either way, I wouldn't survive. Unless, of course, Axe was right and only Jake could be killed. I felt sick. Thinking about how Rachel came back? Tobias asked. Yeah. Me too. Doesn't exactly make it easier, does it? No, I said as I finished demorphing to human. I began immediately morphing the wolf. I could hear the clank-clank-clank of tank treads. I could hear the roar of their engines. The Germans. The Nazis. The ultimate evil. Worth dying to stop them, yes. Worth my one puny life. But I didn't want to die. No matter how great the cause. No matter the reason. Ready? Tobias asked. He was fully Hork-Bajir. I sniffed the breeze. My wolf's nose told me stories of things far beyond this battle. It told me of cows and calves grazing peacefully in their fields. Chickens. Foxes. Rats. Sheep. This was farm country. Not much different from my own farm, probably. But my nose also smelled cordite, charred wood, diesel exhaust, and blood. I could hear too much, too well. I heard the tank engines, the tank gears grinding, the treads as they slapped the mud. I heard the explosions, large and small. The cries, distant but piercing. Maybe if we get the time matrix, maybe we can do more than just put it all back together, you know? What do you mean? I mean, history is nothing but killing. Maybe we could change that. Let's just go get Visser 4, 
Tobiah said, For Jake! For Jake! I said. The words were out before I thought about them. For Jake! Revenge! Kill the killer! Avenge the wrong! And I was going to rewrite history? The jeep was close now. I could see it clearly through the trees. And I could see Visser 4. I could also see the machine guns gripped tightly. Now! Tobias said softly. We began to run. Fast. Faster! Stunted, ruined trees zipped by. We hurtled over scraggly bushes. The wind was in my face. The wind of my own speed. Tobias, hork was running beside me, blades flashing. I saw the viscer. I saw the time matrix. I saw the lead tank with its insignia emblazoned on the side. I leapt. Wrong! Too late! I was already flying, my bone-crunching jaws already open, ready for the enemy's throat. Mondo! The French soldier yelled. Tobias tripped and went down, a line of bullet holes painted red circles across his chest. I hit Visser 4 and closed my jaw over his arm. We tumbled out of the jeep, onto the ground. Only then did I see the handcuffs that held the Visser's wrists. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, I don't have any messages this week, but if you'd like to send one in, you can do that through Gmail at audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Uh, you can do it on Tumblr, that's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. And you can do it through my website, that's theapocalypse.com. The Apocalypse, like apocalypse, but with the D in the middle. Actually, I think I just said theapocalypse.com. It's theapocalypse.com. There, there is a D in the middle. I usually try to pronounce it, but um, missed it that time. Um, and with that out of the way, uh, now I, uh, I guess I can talk about how I think Cassie's right again. Um, long-time listeners may have picked up, uh, I, I do think Cassie's, like, the most interesting and important character in the group. Um, and she's right here. Uh, in, in this last chapter where she talks about changing time for the better, that's the correct move. Uh, it's a pet peeve of mine in time travel movies. Um, there's always that rule, either spoken or unspoken. We can't change the timeline, Marty. That was a very bad Doc Brown impression. Um, but, right, yeah, they're always like, we can't change the timeline. We can't change the timeline. It'll change things. It'll change things. But you know what? Uh, the world's not that great. The world could be improved. So, you know, maybe we should change some things. Um, that's just my thoughts on that. Uh, Cassie's correct. We should kill Hitler. Uh, she didn't say that part. And, um, well, readers know. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, that's uh that that's my thoughts on that. Other and also uh that this book, I mean, I guess I understand it from the perspective of them being like 13. Uh I was not rushed up on geopolitics even for World War II um at 13, but like I feel like it was pretty common knowledge growing up that World War II was essentially a 3v3, right? It was the hilariously named Axis of Evil, which was Germany, Italy, and Japan, and then it was the Allies, which was, of course, America, the UK, and, you know, Russia? <laughs> um, my point being that Tobias is a fake 
history nerd uh, for for thinking that Normandy is the defining moment of World War II and completely ignoring uh, Hitler's movements through Russia towards Stalingrad and the immense losses that the Germans took uh, because of that. Uh, Russia very vital in ending the war, is all I'm saying. Um, I don't have anything else to say. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, I'm feeling a little, a uh, little under the weather today, but nothing too serious. Uh, I have just a l- little low energy, you know. Um, so I'm just gonna wrap this up here. Uh, I've mentioned all the stuff. Check the Twitter. That's at Audiomorphs. If I'm ever late, um, and uh, I-, I should see you next week with uh, some more chapters. We're we're most of the way through this book now. I think we've got maybe a quarter left. Um, Megamorphs always feel so long at this point. Like it's like we're we've gone through so much, and there's still another like ten chapters to go. But um, we'll get through it, and then it's back to your regular scheduled uh, mainline Animorphs books. So I'll see you next week. My name is Daniel. I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>